Hi, I'm Jason. I've had successes and what I felt like were epic failures. At each point, it was the people I walked with and learned from who helped me through. On my podcast, What Works, I interview authors, educators, executives, and people who work to change the world. I walk for a moment on their journey and learn from them. For me, that's what works. This is the What Works podcast with Jason Todd. And today, uh, my special guest is Bobby Herrera. He is the CEO of Populous Group, also the author of a fantastic book called The Gift of Struggle, which came out in 2019. Bobby, welcome to the What Works podcast. Hello, the underdogs, Jason. Thanks for having <laughs> yes. me, man. Good to connect. Well, this is this is fantastic to connect with you. And we got talking before the before the recording here. Um, you're sitting in a barn in the middle of Portland, and at the time of this recording, it is uh, well not in the middle of Portland because I don't think there are barns in the middle of Portland. I've been to Portland, haven't seen one. Uh, so you're outside of Portland in quarantine time during COVID. And you said you were you were having a great time. Well, you know, I'm I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty good with the uh, remote thing. I moved my family here to the Portland area a couple of years ago, so I've never been more grateful to have a lot of room for my kids to run around so they don't drive my wife crazy. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I refurbished this you know small horse barn. It's become my refuge. It's the only place on the farm, as I mentioned, where my wife gave me input. You know, I know my yeah. place on the food chain, and uh, it's, it's where I do my storytelling. Uh, it's where I run my business. It's, you know, just my, my, little, my little getaway. Yeah. So you, one of the things I was thinking of as you we were talking about that, you, you, um, you said the words, you're a student of story, and you said you have things around you that you feel, you're a very deliberate person. I know this. So you're, you're intentional about what you do. Walk me through what's that student of story and how have you built your space to work with your, maybe your heart and your mind? Yeah, well, a little bit, a little bit of context. Uh, my dad was a magnificent storyteller. You know, he was a very traditional, you know, he migrated to the U.S. in the uh, 60s after a journey, you know, working in the U.S. or before that. But uh, he was a magnificent storyteller. And growing up, I didn't realize the gift that he was giving me. Uh, often I was that kid that no different than the other kid. It was like, Oh dad, another story. It's like, come on. And you know, eventually you turn into your parents somehow. Right. And yeah, I always wanted to be a 2.0 version of them. But as I was in my leadership journey, my, yeah, it just became an intuitive way that I picked up from him of communicating. Yeah. You know, whether someone would ask me a question or I'd want to explain to someone, I'd either use a metaphor or a story. And as I began my entrepreneurial career, I just really discovered the magic of the impact that storytelling can have. You know, I think as a human being, we're all narrating a story. And, you know, in business, there's that overused, um, overcomplicated word strategy. It's like, right. just put that aside. You're like, you're narrating a story. Tell me the story. Like, take me back to the beginning. What's the origin story? So back to your question. Um, like I'm big into the traditions and symbols and uh, like my barn has all types of symbols. I talk about some of those in the book, you know, like my dad's, you know, cards and his military card. It's the first thing I see when I turn on the light that keeps me humble. Yeah. Um, my desk, um, it's, 
to me, it's not a desk, it's a story. It's a promise I made a fellow veteran that I served with, you know, back in the early days when he and I both started our company, he started a furniture design uh, company and man, name the struggle. He went through it. But early on, I, I reached out to him and I said, hey, Paul, someday, and I don't know when, I'm going to build my, my dream office, my refuge. I said, I'm going to call you up and I'm just going to give you carte blanche to make me a desk. And, you know, when I moved out here to Portland, I called him uh, about a year before we came out and I said, hey, Paul, you remember that promise? He said, yeah. He goes, you ready? I said, I'm ready. He said, what do you want? I said, well, it's going to be in a barn. So car blanche. And sight unseen, he made me this magnificent, you know, desk. Um, and I accepted him the trust and I really didn't see it until he delivered it. And to me, it's not a desk, it's a story, it's a promise. So, yeah. you know, little things like that is what my barns, it's, it's just riddled with it. How long, so how long had, how long had passed between the time that you told him that and the time that you built your, the space for that? About 14 years. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. I, that first conversation happened in 2000, 2004, and I called him at the beginning of 2018. What precipitated that conversation? Which one? The first one? The, yeah. Uh, the first one, uh, you know, it's just two brothers in arms. Uh, he's, you know, he was in my wedding. He's like a, like many other veterans, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that I'd give my life for. And he, uh, as he, we were both in a similar stage when we started our company, you know, I often call the first five years the most fun I never want to have again. Right. And I was in that stage and so was he. Uh, and I was starting to come out of it and a little bit. And I saw light. He wasn't there yet. And so during a conversation we were having, it was just me trying to give him hope and say, Hey, someday I know you're going to make it. And someday I'm going to call you up. I, I can't, I can't now, um, but I just wanted to give us something to look forward to. Yeah. And through the years as we talk, you know, I'd always remind him, I'd say, Hey, I'm going to call you someday. I'm going to call you someday. Cause I wanted it to be meaningful. Like I wanted it to be something that we could both be proud of. And uh, yeah, it's one of the first things people see when they come in. It, it's, it's a story. It's a promise. And you know, when people say, Hey, that's a cool desk. I was like, well, Hey, it's actually a promise, not a, not a desk. Yeah. So. That what comes to my mind is this, you, know, you talk about struggle and you have uh, all these stories that you tell and it, a couple of things. One is, you know, we talked about, you know, we're both students of, Maxwell. Mm -hmm. I think it's his saying that, that is never, uh, never tell a story without making a point and never make a point without telling a story. Is that something that has kind of, that you've taken forward into your life? And is that kind of why you've developed the storytelling principles? Yeah, intuitively, that's what my dad did really well. Uh, I'm so grateful for the many lessons that he taught me, but uh, he would tell me a story and then he'd always say, Here's why I'm telling you the story. And so mm -hmm. he used it to teach mm -hmm. or he used it to, you know, just educate me. You know, he'd tell our family stories and so forth. And I think we've been doing that for yeah. decades, it's just, it's centuries, but it's now very intuitive. It became very intuitive 
you know, organically learning from my father. But then as I was beginning my professional career, I just really took an interest in it. Uh, and some people started noticing, hey, you're, you're a pretty good storyteller. And I hadn't really connected the dots yet. But then it just became a real na- natural way for me to teach and connect better with the people that I was trying to guide. Yeah. And the more I did that, the more I realized how effective it was, right? I think when you really boil it down, stories inspire, they connect, they educate. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we try to use data and you know, death by PowerPoint and all that stuff, people tune out. Right. And, you know, but a good story, a good messy one is even better. Uh, those are the kind of stories that we crave. And I became a real intentional student of story. Uh, you know, like where I, you know, like I, I, I understand the framework of story. I've gone back and I have countless books on what I call my Bible row about storytelling. Uh, and now it's become something that I've very intuitively studied and fiercely apply anytime I'm going to make a message or tell a, do a key, any talk or whatever, like I'll break out my framework and I'll, I'll, I'll write it out and you know, I'll know what my impact is and I'll pick a story that help guides towards that impact. So just this is the way my brain has uh, evolved over time, but starting with that gift that I didn't know I was getting from my dad. Yeah. The other thing that came to my mind was this, was around struggle or story, particularly on that, that idea of that desk. There's this, the, there's something about the prompt, the promise or the future, mm-hmm. right? Cause you talk about, well, I made, I made this promise and it came true 14 years before or 14 years later. Uh-huh. Um, but you're, you, you also talk about it in your, in your book and some of these stories that you have a lesson in there, but then that, but then that is almost um, leveraged into a, into a promise for the future. And you're using, it seems to me that you're using those promises strategically as you know, as you walk into your space and there's something that keeps you humble. And that's, and it was a story from before. It still is a story. Now it's active mm. and it's a promise that you're using. Does that make sense? You're using that as you're using that story as a promise for your future. Yeah. Or it's a reminder of a core principle or it's a symbol. Yeah. I think one of the best, ways to preserve things that we really love is to create a tradition out of it. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of little pictures like that of traditions that I've created, whether it be with my family or within my organization, you know, populist group, I call it my community. Um, and I, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of, that's the only, it's a, it's kind of the pack rat side of me. I, I don't keep a lot of things, but the things that I do keep are very meaningful. They're symbols you know, just little things that help remind me of the, you know, the first few chapters of a story and how I continue to live that story and build on that story. Yeah. That's a, you bring up an interesting point about populist group. Populist group is a business. Uh-huh. Um, but I love how you call it a community. I was given a talk to, uh, I think it was a better business bureau or something like that. And I, and I talked to them how, Businesses are held together on the on the thin, with, with the thin cord of agreement. Mm-hmm. I think is what I said, and meaning that if everybody came in tomorrow and fundamentally disagreed, said we're done, we no longer agree to this, and we leave, your business is gone. The rest is just paperwork. Because every time people come together, 
whether it's a business or whether it's a social function or whether it's a community service or it's a church or it's a group of friends, there's a, there's an agreement that holds, it is, a, it is just a community to, a, you know, aligned to a specific purpose and, and certain goals. And it's interesting that you do, you call your business a community. Is that, you, you tell your staff that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, How's that it's, work? How's it play out? It's a very active part of our um, vernacular. I've been I've been using that vernacular for so long now, um, and I tell stories around what transformed us from a company to a community. And the short answer is, uh, you know, a community is something that's very is a, you know, a company like you do work and you fix a problem. Mm-hmm. A community, you're building something that's bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think in business, probably one of the more active uh, undercurrent trends of business for quite some time now has been uh, you know, purpose-driven organizations. Like entrepreneurs who are building something that is me- more meaningful than the problem they actually solve. Mm-hmm. And there's always a good story behind that, you know, whether that be you know passion-driven band, brands like Tom Shoes or uh, you know Dave's Killer Bread, or you know, there's there's countless of them out there. You know, there's always a good story, usually around a personal struggle or a struggle they experienced or they witnessed or something that really touched them. And so often, whether you know, I'm going to invest in an organization or I want to better understand the real story behind you know, a, a, a community. I, I want, I'm trying to determine, Hey, is it a company or is it a community? Mm-hmm. I'll ask the founder. I'll, Hey, take me back to the beginning. Tell me the origin story. And that's where I'm looking for a good purpose driven story. Mm-hmm. Not the problem. That's different. That's a different story. Right. I'm looking for like, why did you like take the leap here? and face these insurmountable odds where most fail because the desire to build something has to be greater than the pain that's actually going to be involved when you build it. Totally. And you know, if I, you know, a few minutes ago I said the first five years, most, most fun I never want to have again. Yeah. I had a real, I had a raging inferno inside of me, a real deep passion for, I wanted to build something you know, to help pay forward a kind act that had changed my life. That was more important to me than the pain that I felt during those first five, 10 years, those formidable years where a lot of people ultimately crash and burn. Well, and isn't that the essence of community when people get together that the, the, uh, the principle or the joy or the desire to stay together trumps whatever it is we're doing. Because what we're doing, like particularly now in, in this whole COVID yeah. thing where, you know, arguably our economic systems are falling around, mm-hmm. you know, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, yeah. We we have the opportunity and I think everybody wants to bond together as a community. Right. But it's really, there's a, there, I think what's becoming clear, and maybe this is what you're talking about as well. There's a, there's a stark difference between those people who focus on community and those people who focus on, on doing something. Uh-huh. Uh, and and the community people seem to thrive in this and the non-community focused people don't. Yeah. Fair statement. You know, because I think community said another way is 
it's about we. Company is often about me. And you can feel the difference. Mm -hmm. You can feel when, I think intuitively, you can tell when someone wants to do something for you or to you in a split second. Like our radar goes up, our guard goes up. And it's like that's been passed on for generations to us. Like my daughter, like I can tell instantly when she's like sizing someone up. And then other times someone has a completely different, you know, impression on her and like she's still very reserved yet at the same time, like even a small child can tell. Right. So it is intuitive to us and it yeah. seems that we bond, uh, we bond together in that, in that safety of community. And if we don't bond yeah. together, then it doesn't like what all the, all these constructs, businesses and whatnot that we build on top of that. Uh-huh. are on are not on solid footing yeah they, they are they're frail right and my observation's been that um, like I genuinely believe that most you know, most good people that go out and put everything on the uh, on the line and start a business like I genuinely believe that most of them have a deeper driving force that is pushing them to go in that direction. Yeah. I also believe that many of them, they just haven't yet gotten to that point in their story where they feel like they're courageous enough or they feel like uh, they haven't changed the narrative that whisper of self-doubt to where they say, hey, I, I need to share this story. I need to tell the people that are helping me build this that I'm doing this for a much greater reason. I mean, I made that mistake. The first 10 years of building Populous Group, nobody knew why I was doing it. Nobody knew what it was that was driving me. Nobody knew the, you know, the bigger sense of community that I wanted to build because I wasn't telling those stories. The narrative that I told was nobody needs to hear it. Nobody wants to hear it. What if I fall flat on my face? Yeah, then I'm going to be embarrassed. These are my marker stories. And I, I like, absence of that people are going to form their own narrative yeah so i was just this intense entrepreneur that wasn't even human to them. once i did and started telling those more formidable stories many of which i share in the book that gives a struggle um, that's what started the transformation from a company to a community and then it became about something bigger something more meaningful and then they could decide whether or not they wanted to be a part of it so absence of that people are just going to make up their own narrative yeah. What did so during that transition? That during that transition time, clearly something's going on in your own, in your own self that you're now being open and vulnerable and and dropping. I feel like you're dropping the guard, uh-huh. uh, so as to not be seen as this. You know, I'm, I've got it all figured out. Right. And we're charged. We're heading forward. You don't want to be seen as that person. But you want to see, be seen as the more human mm-hmm. person that you are, full of full of strengths, full of weaknesses, and and I also have a right to sit in your seat, you know, as CEO. And you're building this we. Walk me through that transition time. What's going on in your mind and how are people responding to you? And what were were there any particular um were there any particular points of struggle, let's say, where the gears, you know, you're trying to it seems it seems to me like you're trying to mesh two different gears now and you're trying to get them going at the same speed. What was that time like for you? 
Yeah, great question. I mean, I heard several really good questions within that, uh, Jason. I think the first one is, um, yeah, I, I simply just hadn't participated in my own rescue, as a good friend of mine says. Okay. Uh, I had yet to figure out that vulnerability was a key competency of leadership. And people just want to hear the truth. <laughs> and they want to know that you're, you, know, you bleed just like they do. And I hadn't yet figured that out. I was still buying into the, the dogma and the yeah. alpha myths that I always had to have my stuff together. And, you know, now looking back, I realized just how naive and dumb that was. Um, and that, that caused me a lot of stress because like inside, like I wanted to do that and I wanted to be real. I wanted to be who I was, but I thought I had to put up this front Yeah, and Ultimately, what came out was like they knew the whole time I didn't have my stuff together. Right? Yes. Yeah. You're not fooling anybody. Never I never, I never fooled them. <laughs> they knew. Yeah. I just never said it. Uh, and I, I think that's probably the most, I think, honest way of of saying that. Here I was thinking the adaptive persona that I was putting up, I thought it was the persona that they wanted to see. And this whole time they wanted to see the natural, like who I really was. And I wasn't fooling them anyway. And because I was showing them someone different instead of who I really was, I was building trust, but not to the level that it should be. You were such, I think, you know, I'll often ask entrepreneurs, like, what's the single most important asset that you will ever own? And I get some really good creative answers. And then I finally got them to, I was like, hey, those are all good. But the real asset that you're building is trust. Mm-hmm. And how are you intentionally measuring that with every interaction? Yeah. Um, I hadn't figured out how to do that yet. So, you know, breaking down that guard and saying, look, this is, this is why I'm doing it. This is who I am. This is what I imagine. Um, if you want to be a part of it, this is, this, this is what it's going to be. And how was liberating for everybody. Totally. How many people were involved at that point in the, in the organization? You know, at the time, um, yeah, we were, I mean, I'd say around 60. So it wasn't, we, we were still relatively small 60. Um, that was, uh, the, the internal, uh, part of the community, you know, we, we managed a non-permanent workforce for large organizations. So we were about that time, I'd say we were about a hundred million dollar organization. Uh, so we were very fortunate that we had experienced some great, what I call, you know, return on luck after that first era, that second era, I call it the holy bleep era. And so, you know, we, we had, we were at a pretty interesting stage, but after I started my personal leadership transformation, the 10 years that followed after that, we grew five times more in less than 10 years than we did in those first 11. So the first 11, we were at about 100 million. And then the previous, the following nine, we grew five. So often when an on 500 million, so often when entrepreneurs question the validity and the power of being who you are and having a purpose-driven organization with clear values and boundaries, 
was like, well, let me just give you an example. Yeah. Right? When you don't do it, this is a possibility. Then like, here's what happened for me pre and post. Uh, doesn't always work that way, but in my observation, most of the times it actually does. Yeah. So how did you roll that out? I mean, I'm very curious about this because people go through, um, and I think it's a, it's becoming a buzzword right now, this idea of vulnerability and openness and being authentic. Right. Uh-huh. And some people, you give lip service to it. And you, and like you say, you can kind of see it surface deep and you kind of uh-huh. know when somebody's up to something. It's just this oh, right. sense, I think, that we have about people's energy. Right. And I've gone through my own, uh, I've gone through my own journey and I'm not the same. I'm, I, I, I used to say I'm not the same person I was three years ago, but the truth is I just wore off the calluses and now I'm down to the live, the live flesh. Uh-huh. And, and so I'm, I'm experiencing my own regeneration in this uh, and, and like you participating in my own rescue, I think maybe as well. Uh-huh. I love that. I, I took a little quote. I was like, you haven't participated in your own rescue. Love it. Yeah. But how do you roll that out? You've got a team, you've got 60 people. It's a, I'm sure that you weren't, I'm, I'm just guessing. I'm guessing you didn't wake up one day and be like, and here's exactly how I'm going to roll this thing out. And I mean, you give it some thought, I would think. And you're only do, you're doing your own internal work, but practically, you know, practically, how does it work out into a team of sixty people? It seems like a risky thing too, personally. What'd you do? Uh, well, I would like to think that I did wake up one day and say, you know what, screw it, I'm going to tell the story. But it didn't work out that way. Right. Uh, it was a complete accident. Oh, um, I love it. So I was working on a project to codify the culture. You know, I'm a, I'm a student of culture. I've always been real, um, I've been fascinated by it. I wanted to build a real strong culture. I had a vivid imagination of the type of culture I wanted to build. And truth be told at the time, the culture that I was building didn't feel like the culture that I imagined. And the reason it didn't is because I hadn't shared what I imagined with, the people that were trying to help me build it. And I, I tell the story there in the book, but uh, the, you know, the short version of it was I'm working on this video production to film the culture code that was going to codify our culture, the clear values that I've worked real hard to communicate. And we had been scripting it out a little bit with the guy that I was working with that was filming it. Well, I'm not an off the script kind of guy. And we started filming and as I'm going through the initial parts of the script, we were only a few minutes in and I tell the guy that I was filming it with this quiet guy named Ben. I was like, Hey Ben, I I can't do this. I can't read off a script. This isn't me. Like everyone's going to look at this and be like, like it just, it wasn't going to, it didn't feel right to me. I knew it was just going to just not come off authentically to anyone else. And so he said, okay, you know what? Let's put that to the side. And then he asked me a question. He said, Bobby, you believe that everyone deserves an opportunity to succeed. Why do you believe that? And just unrehearsed, I told him the bus story, which is the first chapter of the gift of struggle. And he caught it all on video, just unrehearsed. And uh, we did the whole interview that way where he was just asking me questions and then we pieced it together. A few weeks later, my whole, you know, company saw it. And then they were like, 
wow, I never heard the bus story before. I never heard some of these other stories before. And like, then they knew what it was that was really driving me. Because a story taps into shared beliefs. And when you hear a story, you can tell so much about what the person believes and why. And because I hadn't shared those stories and why I was doing things and what I imagined, they didn't know. And once they did, they could choose whether or not they wanted to be a part of that. And like I said, after that, it was start. That was the initial flap of the butterfly wings that started the transformation. Do you, did people tend to buy in right away on that, or were there some people who were on the fringes? Uh, I would say the reception to it was very immediate in in the in the sense that it had a big emotional impact. Mm-hmm. Yet, I kept telling the story. And I kept talking about it. And I think that's an unintentional mistake that entrepreneurs and leaders make is that they under communicate unintentionally because they don't want to offend someone. And I'm, you know, they don't want to insult someone's intelligence. You know, leaders don't like to keep reminding people right. and like, no, uh-uh. what you must do is keep repeating it. Like we have to keep telling those stories. And I intuitively just started once I sense that I just kept telling them and the more I kept telling them and started intentionally targeting that I like, I still tell it and I still tell them and everything I do has a story as I communicate with them. And so uh, it's become my primary mode of communication and I remind and remind and remind. And every, every time I put out, like even, even now, during COVID, I put out a weekly video to my company and usually every Wednesday starts with a short story mm. and it's to signal. I, I do that to send them signals about either a principle or our purpose, right? Or I'll say, but let me start with a quick reminder and I'll tell a quick story or, you know? Yeah. So does that, does that help you kind of unpack it a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Cause I, I, I think that people have a real struggle like I've spent a good portion of my career consulting with small business owners and, uh-huh. and you know, mid, mid-sized execs. And I, I believe that people have number one, like you talked about, have a hard time just kind of going deep into themselves yeah. to be able to open up mm-hmm. to a staff. Uh, but then they have a hard time structuring, I think, um, or codifying. Um, I think you, you mentioned in a different, in different thing I was listening to codifying the culture. Uh-huh and being very intentional about the things that matter. And it seems that you have that intentionality much greater than many folks. And you found it to be effective for yourself. Yeah. Well, I uh, think, thanks for that kind of compliment. Uh, yes. And it continues to evolve. Right? Like, you know, um, as I've studied like boundaries, I mean, it's a, a community is no different than a core family. Mm-hmm. So whether you know, when you're part of your family, oftentimes you know what the family do's and don'ts are. Right. Like you know what keeps you safe and what doesn't. You know what dad and mom are going to approve of and what they're not going to be approved of. Yeah. And so those are the messages that, you know, for example, we as parents are always reminding our children of. Well, a company is no different. Uh, if you want to transform your company into a community, you have to keep telling your Children, I call my family team one. I call my community populist group team two. 
Mm-hmm. And I use that in vernacular with them. And so, hey, you know, here at Team 2, to keep us safe, we have to always do these three things. We give more than we take, we speak from the heart, and we go off the beaten path. And I'll tell stories about those. Right? And so like, that, that, like I just gave you the three pillars of our culture code. Yeah. And, and people know what it means to give more than you take. People know what it means to speak from the heart. People know what it means to go off the beaten path. And every one of those have stories and examples. Great. So when you say that they know it, because some people don't know it, I, I feel intuitively. So I, like I've, I've, I grew up in a, in a family that I knew what I knew what love was. I knew what care was. I knew what, right. You know, you know, the boundaries of family. Mm-hmm. I have friends who don't like if, if you said the word love, it is completely a different word. Right. Than you know, what I would say and what they would say. Sure. So when you say they know it, is that because you're telling the stories and giving examples mm-hmm. or how do you, how do you measure that they know it? Like giving yeah, more good than question. Yeah. Good question. Um, so that's my responsibility. I have to make sure they understand it. So I have to give them that clarity mm-hmm. and absence of that clarity. They can't align their actions to it. Right. So first and foremost, when someone joins our community. We call it when, when someone gets selected, right? We don't hire, we select. And the distinct difference there is we hire, you know, when I interview someone, I ceremoniously, first thing I do is I'm sitting across the table from, I'll take the resume and I'll flip it over. And I look at them and I say, I'm not going to ask you a single question off this side. I want to know the more important stuff, the back of the resume, the stuff that's not like the stuff that really defines who you are. And I'll be like, hey, tell me at the beginning. How'd your story start? Where did it start? Tell me a story about your grandfather, your grandmother, and you know, take me back. And I like then I'm really learning who they are. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's a reason I'm bringing that up. Once someone gets through that selection process, we then welcome them. We don't onboard, we welcome. So by welcoming them, we introduce them to the stories that define who we are. Mm. So in other words, their first week or two when they're in, become a member of our community, we engulf them in stories. And like someone, someone joins populist group that first week, they're making calls all across the country, COVID or not. uh, And they're, meeting other climbers. That's what I call my employees. Okay. Climbers, not, not employees. Employees doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are having conversations around our culture. They're like, Hey, you know, quite, you know, we have, a, we have them do a culture quiz. And so they'll call a climber and they'll say, Hey, can you tell me, you know, can you tell me the story about X or, you know, can you tell me a story about Y? And the more I involve the entire community into retelling those stories, right? The best way to learn something is to have people teach it, right? So yeah. I have ev- everyone's telling the same stories over and over at their own way and sharing examples of, hey, here's how we live this. Here's how I've applied this. And organically over time, you just reinforce it. So, so you are. If I have it right, you are instilling the process of storytelling across the organization, which then 
lets that or forces that culture deeper into their hearts and their minds. Like a, you know, like a tree that puts down strong, exactly. strong roots, but really spreads yep. them wide. That's it. Okay. Yeah. I'm just creating a bunch of storytellers that tell stories about who we are, what made us who we are, how we live it. And the more I invite them, you know, part of our welcome is we're, that, that's what we're doing is we're inviting you into our story. Yeah. So here are the stories that matter. Here's why they matter. Here's how we expect you to build on it. Because part of that messaging too is we, we tell them, you have one day to be new here. On day two, we expect you to start asking questions. We expect you to raise your hand when something didn't feel right. And the more context we build for them yeah. around why we do what we do, the better they'll be able to do what they do. Uh, and so you know, this all stemmed from you know, things that either, you know, I do this now because I had jobs and personal experiences where I went into an organization and on day one, they sit me next to someone that had no idea I was coming right. and they start having me doing job shadowing on tasks that I have no idea how it matters. Right. And so that, that annoyed me a lot. And so I would often say to myself, if I ever do this for myself, I'm going to make sure people know why they do stuff yeah. and have context because the more they, the more context we give them in the beginning, it's like, you know, you invest now or you pay later. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to invest now. So, well, it's so, yeah, I love that concept because when you, when you overlay that idea of community, the community, the perpetuation of a community is built on its stories uh-huh. and the yeah. ability of people in the community to tell stories. Right. It's kind of that one, you know, if you miss a generation, if you miss a generation of teaching, you've lost, it's gone. Everything. Yeah. Everything. It's gone. This really and jazzes you up. I can see it in your eyes. Like you. Uh, I mean, it, it's like, it's, uh, <laughs> culture's the only thing I won't delegate. Um, okay. I give, I give every responsibility away that I can. Mm-hmm. Culture though, that's mine. It's like, uh, it, yeah, I, I, sh- I shared what I imagined with them back in like 2011 uh, after I held it inside for 10 years. My wife is the only person that knew what I really wanted to build. I couldn't even tell her how. I think over time I just organically figured it out, but through some great teachers. But now as I've invited more people into the story and have uh, built the expectation for them to also be a storyteller. Like I value no competency, no competency do I value more than the power of storytelling for climbers in my community. Like I expect people to quickly learn how to tell a good story and we teach them that because we're going to be expecting them to use that as their primary vehicle of communication. So, and we build that into our debriefs. We build that into everything. So it's, it's stories the best drug ever invented. Yeah. It's what we do when we get with our buddies. It's what you and I are doing now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's what our wives do. Our wives do it differently. You know, are you married? Jason? I, yeah, I've been married. I'm not, I'm yeah. I'm beginning. Yeah, so, it, anyway, so man and <laughs> women do that differently, right? So, <laughs> man, we get together and we tell the same stories over and over and grunt yeah. laugh, right? <laughs> women tell new stories over one another. Yeah. Right? So yeah, I, I do that. That's an example I use just to totally. tease my wife, but you know, we, 
but we, that's all we do is we tell stories. Yeah. And the fact that people don't use that in their business, uh, you and I have both sat through that presentation and all you want to do is stick an ice pick in your temple, right? You, you've sat through that presentation, right? Yeah. It's I like, can. oh my gosh, listen to yourself because nobody is, you just want to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've taken a lot of those. And I'm like, eh, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. So, well, you have a, res- you have a, a focus on, I was going to say relentless focus. I'm not sure that's the word, but a relent, I would say, I'll say it, a relentless focus on the concept of the person, the people in their, in your community rather yeah. than the, uh, I mean, not that you don't have focus on results, but uh-huh. I think you, you know, that if you don't have the people right, you're not going to get the results. Yeah. I mean, it works at, it, right people doing the right things, doing the right things. Right. Yeah. If yeah, you, you can look at the right things all you want, but if it's not being facilitated by the right people, then it's a losing game. So I'm sure that you have people ask you this. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. How do you, how do you counsel people when they come to you and they say, okay, I get this whole story thing, but where do I start? Uh, you mean in said another way when someone overanalyzes and says, ah, I don't know if I'm a very good storyteller or I don't know yeah, if I can do if this. They, if they want to copy you in some way, if they want huh? to say, oh yeah, that's really great. I think I'd like to apply this in my business because that's what a lot of people do. I mean, some pe- people are going to sure. listen to this and they're going to say, oh, I got to get on the story train. Huh? And, and there's, and I sense, I'll say this for the listeners. I think mm. I sense that there's this, this idea of, well, if I follow this formulaic approach, then I shall achieve formulaic results. And I don't oh. know that it's so clean and easy that way. I think, and I also think that that um, isn't getting down into the reality. It seems to me that if, I don't know, if you, you oh. tell me if somebody came to you and said, Hey, how do I, how do I start in my organization? Or if oh. I want to start a new organization with these mm. principles in mind, what do you, what, what would you tell them? Well, uh, I think I would resist the urge to tell them anything, but here's maybe some questions I would ask. Okay. I would ask first and foremost, uh, I'd ask, Hey, what's the single most sought after skill from the CEO on down to the most junior level in any organization? And then I would guide them and say, cause the answer to that is communication. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, all right, what's the most powerful form of communication? And you and I have just been talking about that. Yeah. Storytelling. Right. And then I would ask them whether they, you know, most people have either had kids or they were a kid. Yeah. I'd be like, hey, have you ever noticed the look on someone's face when you're telling them a good story? Of course. They have story face. I was like, do you know why? Said, because they're actually listening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think first and foremost, I would guide them to come to their own conclusion mm-hmm. that story is the best drug ever invented. Maybe asking more questions like, hey, what do you do when you get together with your buddies or your girlfriends? Mm-hmm. Right? Or, you know, like, what, you know, do you, what, what's your favorite movie? Why? Favorite book? Why? They're all stories, right? So after we got through that part, I would then say, okay, take me back to the beginning. What's the origin story as to why you started your company? 
And if they knew that, I would in, I would go one direction, right? So imagine kind of a Gantt chart here, right? Or a flow chart here. If they, if, if, if they know that, in other words, is it a purpose driven, like I want to build something bigger than myself type story? If they tell me that, well, it's because I saw this problem and I'm like, okay, great. There's problems all over the world. There's always going to be problems, but that's not why you did it. Like, yeah. why is it so important for you to do this? Mm-hmm. So I'd walk them through that. And if once we got them to the right place on that flow, same place on that flow chart, I'd be like, okay, does everyone in your organization, do they understand the invisible force that drives you? And depending on whether, because that's what that is. Whether that's a yes or a no would determine where I'd take that. And I, I take leaders through this all the time. One of the first questions I'll ask is, hey, tell me the origin story. Mm-hmm. Tell me why. Well, you're using, a, you're using the coaching methodology, which uh, what assumes that the answer is already in you. You're, not, you're just oh, aware of it. They are in them. And you, so you're just inviting people into their – you're inviting people to look at their story uh-huh. when they – because they know their story. They just haven't really told it or maybe didn't think it was important. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, we've all heard it. Everybody has a story, whatever overused metaphor you want to use here. Right. But the reality is, like, that's an example of, okay, well, let me help you participate in your own rescue here. Yeah. And I'm just going to ask you some questions that are going to provoke some serious thought mm-hmm. and help you connect the dots. Well, uh, and you, you, you just mentioned this, the, that whole throwaway phrase, which I think is a way of shutting people down, which is, well, everybody's got a story and it's, uh-huh. and it is kind of a throwaway, uh-huh. like a throwaway yeah. to the storyline. Right. Which I think, you know, even through our discussion here, mm. the story is so important. The story that you say to your, in your own, the, uh-huh. in your own head is going to, is going to affect the story that I'm going to project or the, the thing I'm going to feel that maybe mm-hmm. you're thinking or not. So it'll, it'll encourage me to do things or discourage me from doing things because I got a story in yeah. my head. Those stories yeah. are hugely important for us to get out. I believe. Right. For us to for us to become the I don't know the people we can be for ourselves and for others. I was I was giving a talk. I'll, I'll give you a tangible example because I think yeah. examples are are, are gold. Um, I was giving a talk for you know, a large sales organization, and they wanted to bring in the power of storytelling, use it more intentionally for how they sell, how they communicate, and so forth, and the culture of the organization wasn't, let's just say they weren't ready for it. They were more about the death by PowerPoint, right. you know, tell people how smart you are, et cetera, whatever. Um, and so here's the example I use, you know, a few years back, uh, I had a meeting with uh, one of the uh, high ranking, you know, executive at a top Silicon Valley organization. And it took me a while to get this meeting. And I finally got it. I got 20 minutes. I show up early like I should. And the time for the meeting comes. You know, Mr. Importante shows up five, six minutes late, rushed. You could tell they were, you know, they walk in, they sit down, and uh, he, he, you know, apologizes for being late. You and I both know he didn't mean it, right? right? So he sits down and then he goes, you know, uh, I didn't get to do a lot of research on populist group. I don't know 
you know, I don't know much about your company. I don't know this, you know, I don't know your revenue, how big you are and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And so here, this person, you know, number three at a very large organization and uh, you know, everybody knows this company if, if I was to tell you. And then uh, he said, Hey, tell me, you know, tell me the numbers, tell me the story, you know, or, you know, he said, Hey, just tell me how big you are and all that kind of stuff. Right. And I just paused. And then I said, you know, I could bore you to death with all that. And I can tell you some of these vitals that you're asking. Do you mind if I tell you the origin story quickly? And then we'll hit those. And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, sure. I told him the bus story, the first chapter of you have to struggle. Almost three hours later, Jason, we had not talked one single number. Yeah. So they were six minutes late to a 20 minute meeting. Three hours later, we had not talked a single number. I don't know. You tell me the story matter, right? (laughs) I told him that story. We tapped into shared beliefs before you knew it. I knew more about him and his story because I told him a story that tapped into our shared beliefs. I, I took the risk in telling him a story. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's that's an important point we got to highlight. First and foremost, you got to have the you have to have the bone marrow to stand up and say, "Well, you know what? Can I tell you a story?" I've yet to have someone say no to that, right? <laughs> and then you tell it. Yeah. But here's the main point: we've been conditioned because either people ask us the questions about the numbers and the data or this that we just vomit that stuff all over. No one, nobody really cares about that stuff, mm-hmm. and we don't pause for a moment and say, Hey, let me tell you something that really does matter. And like, then the results there, or we sit through a boring presentation where you're checking your email, thinking about your, you know, honeydew list or whatever. And you know, no one's paying attention. Yeah. Absent of a good story. Yeah. I pulled my old string there, but I thought that example was relevant. Oh yeah, for and, sure. You know, cause that happens every day in business. We're either being asked questions or it's being modeled to do it the other way. Well, and no, 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 no. So afraid to do that. Like you say, people are afraid to step outside of the formula, the formulaic approach to sales, let's say, uh-huh. um, yeah. and own and own something. And I think, and I mean, this is all over blogs and whatnot, that people struggle with sales because they don't believe what they're selling because they don't, they don't even find it to be a compelling story. They just wanted a paycheck for today. And right. And it seems it seems to me that the the people who become mm-hmm. like like yourself have a have a combination of um, openness, authenticity, success. It all comes down. I think it all comes down to being very connected and introspective right. about what's happening here. Because people connect, people connect with the heart, and that's that's what story cuts through. You know, it's okay. like, you know, these yeah. motivators, like love, beauty, power, greed, you know, it's, it, none of those are numbers. You right. know, it's, it's always some deeper driver yeah. of between two humans. Yeah. The rest, the rest we can get through. We can figure that's the rest of this stuff out. But if we can't agree to this, we all, we intuitively right. know something's wrong. Yeah. And, and that highlights, you know, the single most important asset we'll ever own is trust, right? That person sitting across the table, silently asking themselves, can I trust you? And the only way you're going to get through that more important sales cycle is by tapping into those shared beliefs. And nothing does that better than story. You know, like my, my current VP of sales 
yeah, I call him one of the best Brazilian storytellers in the world. Um, he's phenomenal, an amazing storyteller. Uh, but we always start, you know, any of our, whether it be, you know, we're, we're looking to earn the trust, you know, of a, of a new partner. It's become default for us. Like what story are you leading with? Always lead with a story. Yeah. A story that builds context. It's no, it's not always the same story. It's like every situation is different. Always lead with a story that builds context for what you want to do and how you want to earn that trust. So, and if you do a good personal one, that's going to accelerate it even more. Yeah. It's so timely. This is, it, the, the discussion is so timely. I, I a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was got a call from a friend and I've been dealing with some stuff that I you know kept hidden and whatnot from people. And I was, it was eating me up in my core. Uh, and I had experienced, you know, the, the walls toppling around cause you can't, you can't build on a, on, you know, foundations that's not solid. And I'd lost, I had lost my own integrity in, you know, and, uh, some guy called me up, a friend of mine I've known for 15 years or something like that. And I helped him out years ago. And, uh, he says, I got to talk to you, Jason. And I was like, and he never, that's just the uncharacteristic thing for him to say. And, uh, he says, well, so what's going on, bud? He says, well, um, I was fired from my company. My, my business partner fired me. Um, he's probably suing me. I've lost my long-term relationship and I don't know what to do. And, and I was like, Oh, that's so." I said, well, first I said, you know, thanks for reaching out. He says, well, it took me a week to call you. And I chuckled and I was like, Oh, we're going to be fine. Uh, it's taken me years to ask for help sometimes. So I said, you know, tell, tell me more. And it's just, we, we walked through this process and then I unpacked for him my story, you know, and I, and I, and I assured him it's going to be okay. I just need you to know it's going to be okay. But it was that, it was that moment when he said he, he, in, in the middle of this, he says, you're one of the people I trust most in this world. Yeah. And I, and it like worked its way through me and I was like, Oh my gosh, like yeah. I've been, I've been walking as not the person of integrity that I, you know, I want to be seen as, and that I know I can be. And then this guy calls me out and says, you, you're one of the people I trust most in this world. And it's just like, okay, fine. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like courageous decision, courageous decision, courageous decision, because if people, if people can see that they can see the the difference, right. He was disconnected Mm -hmm. enough that he says, Hey, you're one of the people people I trust most in this world. And then there's some other people who are thinking, I don't know anymore. And it's like, okay, bring it back in alignment, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and the, and the being able to then share the story with him right out of the gate, like my, my, my story, bring my own self back into alignment, which I had done recently, it gave him some assurances, mm. you know, that, oh, it is going to be okay. My life's yeah. not over. I'm not a complete failure. I'm going to be able to move past this point, you know, cause, cause Jason, Jason was able to, you know, in the midst of struggle and despair and, you know, confusion and hopelessness and all these things. And, right. and it is interesting that once, once that, once that I, I don't know, I'm thinking like this, not only once you tap into your own story and speak and speak with integrity, mm-hmm. the trust that's built from that. And then the hope, the hope that comes from that and the stability that comes from that. And then you can retell that over time it does, it builds a firm foundation, not only for ourselves, but then yeah. all the things we build on top of that are now stable and strong. And I, and I just love how then you connect that out across a community of people 
saying, hey, we all got to tell these stories. We all got to know what, know, know how to tell the story so that, so that we can yeah. affirm one another and the organization can grow mm-hmm. stronger. I, yeah. I just find it so, I find it so necessary. And, and like, like we've talked about, you know, this, people are resistant to that. They're resistant to becoming, um, to becoming open and telling their story because they maybe feel it doesn't matter. They maybe, they may feel like they're not good enough or maybe, or maybe they can't tell the story yet because they know it's not true. Uh, you know, they're not being true to their own story. But once you go through that, there's such a liberating, there's a, it's a liberation, you know, it's like a, right. it's like a freedom and a hope that comes from that. And right. I think you experienced that in, you know, even monetarily from this hundred million dollar, this $500 million company, when all of a sudden everybody becomes realigned to something that matters and it resonates with their own, their own right. selves outside of just numbers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At the end of the day, no one really cares about the number. Um, no. You know, dreams aren't free. So I don't want to downplay that. Right. Yet the reality of it at the end of whatever story you're narrating, what people really want to say is, am I helping do to do something that matters here? Um, and never has that been more relevant than where business is going today. And like right now, I believe there's several phases that we're going through, right? There's, so most of us are merely inconvenienced right now. There's some very unfortunate hardship happening in business and personal lives right now. You know, we're, you know, praying for those less fortunate, but there's an element of, you know, for, for business in general, there's a survive, like, can we make it? And then there's going to the, be the recover. It's like, okay, how do we get through it and what needs to change? And then there's, I think, another more important part that many business leaders are unintentionally overlooking right now. And that is the reframe. So said another way, uh, we as a human animal often forget in the midst of struggle that we're actually learning something right now. And this is going to change us somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. Well, I often say the stream always wins. Like what's happening in the stream right now that's going to help you erode other problems down the line? Mm-hmm. Like that reframe part and being real intentional about writing those down and studying it. And you know, I'm always real vocal about saying like, I don't actively go out inviting struggle into my life. Yeah. Although I wrote the gift of struggle. All I've learned is how to reframe my experiences. That's it. Uh, And I want people to learn from that. Like I want a mission to reframe how the world views struggle. Because once you do and you learn that, you know, every struggle teaches us something, that's the gift. Then you figure out how to intentionally apply those down the line. Yeah. So this is more than just a, okay, how's this changing the business? How's it changing you? And how are you using that to tell stories to help change others? Because once you, you can't change anyone else until you change yourself. Like, right. It's just, it's just the law. But uh, that, that's not always followed yet. <laughs> that's the way it should be. Right. But yeah. Philosophically speaking, I, I know that you get it, um, and everybody else does. My my long-winded point here is that you know, there's so many different 
things that you have to do as a business leader, story helps you piece a lot of those together because it's not the standalone uh, silver bullet. Story is probably the most significant, what I call, and to you as a leader and to your business. Story and blank. Story and X. You know, so story is the most powerful and that I've found in building a business, leading people, guiding people, writing, whatever. Um, it's it's just it's the it's your it's your best Robin to whatever Batman you have. Yeah. It's the connection. That's it. Yeah. It's the connection from the past to the present to the future and the connection between generations. And yeah. The connection from, uh-huh. like you say, you know, why are, why are we doing this anyhow? Mm-hmm. What, what's the point? Yeah. That is, you're right. It is, it is all story. Yeah. And I do little exercises with my kids. Yeah. When, when we were still actually driving them to school, yeah. you know, I'm the one that drives them to school and on the way, uh, I, you know, a few times a week, I always, I have have three coconuts and I would tell one of them, I'd be like, okay, yeah. Hey, tell me a story. You you get a garbage truck, a salamander and a bow and arrow go. And so they'll sit there in the back and they'll be like, (laughs) all right. So dad, there was a salamander and he's driving a garbage truck, you know? And so I'm building these skills. My dad did it for me just intuitively. And so now I want to take what he gave me and I actually want to teach them. Yeah. And so it's no different than what I'm doing with my organization. Like I've learned how the power of story can help me build purpose and, and, and secure the boundaries and the problems that we solve. Right. And so now all I'm doing for them is saying, okay, what story are you leading with? Like this is, tell me a story on how you solve this. I called four people in my organization this morning about, Hey, I heard this and I heard this and I heard that. That's phenomenal. I was like, Hey, tell me a story about that. They know I'm going to ask them. Yeah. And you know what? They always have a story. They're like, Oh man, I was getting crushed with this and that as a leader, encourage that because you're, you're giving people a phenomenal gift. And the more like confidence you build that for them, they can do anything. I hope that serves the it does. audience somehow. I I fully believe, well, and we talked about this earlier, you know, the idea that when people come together, it's a sacred space. It's a it's a privilege that nothing else in the world besides humans gets. It's the, I think, and I've been, this is what's been on my mind recently, and, and, I, and I think you proved it here. We have the, we have the ability set apart, humans set apart from everything else to, to name, create, and destroy. It's the, it's the three unique things that we get. We can, we can name our reality. We can name our futures. We can, we can describe it, right? We can ponder it and, and turn it over and talk with one another. And then, and then once we've named it, we can go create things. Uh, and then we can also destroy things, things that in maybe a negative way or sometimes in a good way, things that we don't need in our lives anymore that don't, they no longer serve us. And that idea of naming, creating and destroying is when we come together as people, we have that, I think, just that sacred space, right? Like, hey, what are we gonna, what are we gonna name? What, what, like, yeah. what stories are we gonna tell? Yeah. 
And then what are we going to take to create? What am I going to take to create? What are you going to take to create? And then, and then what are the things that we're going to put away and say, nope, that's, that's something that we, you know, we, we put that away today and here's why I, I just, that's why I find this just the medium. Uh, I mean, even in the middle of COVID, right. The medium of just being able to video somebody, you know, and, and share, I think it's so powerful and necessary. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I know for a fact, yeah. I know for a fact that somebody's going to listen to this and they're going to go, yes. And they're going to take, take something new and fresh from it. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's about, right? Giving yep. and stories. They help us heal. They do. It's how we heal. So. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Bobby, I, I so much appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the What Works podcast. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun, Jason. All hell the underdogs. You've given. If you know a person working to change the world who would be a great guest on the What Works podcast, contact me, Jason at therealjtod.com.